Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Johnson Files here on the Bastard News Radio Network. Uh, Dr. Larry will be joining me shortly. We're going to be talking about a lot of different things tonight. Uh, we got a lot of issues, and plus on the resistance hour, uh, Dr. Larry is going to talk about um, the Republican Party and what to do and you know, where to and how best to get victory in 2022-2024. So we're going to discuss that in the second uh, uh, resistance hour following this show. So uh, welcome to Dr. Larry uh I like to say we got an exciting two hour block here, don't we? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, I, I'm gonna say I, I'm kind of excited because this is like one of these shows where it's like, I mean, I mean we got Fashi is God, the plug, you know, the gain of function research, which is basically we got uh, the Republican Party, which you're gonna get to. We got the Ukraine, which quite honestly. Putin is threatening the Ukraine, and it would be kind of an interesting discussion. To what extent is that within the net, our interest versus that of, let's say, you know, Vladimir Putin? We got uh, pothole Pete telling people, go buy electric cars because you can save on gas. Uh, Japan basically saying to the United States that you better tell the Chinese that can't invade to Taiwan. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, son, Hunter. And the various corruption he's involved in, you know, yeah, which kind of leads me to an interesting point. Speaking of projection, uh, had you ever noticed that everything that Donald Trump and his family was accused of, Joe Biden and his family actually did? Yeah, it's like it's like I said uh, earlier. The if you want to find out what the Democrats are doing, just find out what they're accusing the Republicans of doing. Yeah. And and, and so, uh, it's it, you know, the thing that comes in involved is this. Is, uh, and we're going to kind of go into some of this a little bit later after, uh, you, know, you know, Tony is God. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I I saw the I saw the interview, and I'm you know and I'm looking you know and I'm listening to this, and the arrogance of this guy is extraordinary. I mean, he's got to be one of the most arrogant people I've ever seen publicly. Now you've met this guy, so was he just arrogant? Him. Yeah, I used to yeah, work. Yeah, used with to work with. Him. Yeah. Was he this arrogant? Um, I, I, that, yeah, that's one way to describe it. <clears throat> he uh, certainly uh, 
he, but he's also got a charming side, uh, which I think is what allows him to get to the position where he can where he can get away with being arrogant. Um, but he's a kind of he can he 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 can be a very cold fish. I mean, really cold. I've seen him do a few things that were uh, very uh, as I certainly I wouldn't have done. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess I mean, it got serious with that. I, I mean, obviously, this came from his response to Cruz and Rand Paul. It, his role in the gain of function research, where they all but stated, hey, you lied to us under oath about your role in this, which now the Institute of Health pretty much basically verified what's happening. And you know, his response is, you know, and part of his response was, you know, Cruz in January the 6th, which I guess was the accusing Cruz of basically starting a riot, being there at January the 6th. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous, uh, but it comes down to it. You know, he says, oh, they're attacking me because I am science. I mean, he said that. And I thought to myself, you know, the arrogance of this guy never ceases. It just seems like, but, you know, maybe the, the point I would bring back here is what is what he exposed himself to be is a partisan hack. Uh who had a partisan hack? Fair and simple. A Democrat as a a Democratic bureaucrat doing what Democrats bureaucrats do. I mean, he kind of let the you know the you know the cat out of the bag. Yep. Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that. I I think um, as as I I've maintained all along, I, I think his main motivation. After uh, after they started uh, looking at him much more carefully uh, in the in the Trump in the Trump years, I think he he began to feel that he better be careful because he is if he if 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 he, if people look too too tight too closely, then it would they would very easily discover that. He had a much larger role in the Wuhan um, uh, BSL uh, for uh, accreditation. Uh, actually, even even in the the, the building of the uh, not the building but the uh, authorization of the uh, facility, than people knew, and that if people felt if they became convinced that the Wuhan facility was really the uh, place where all this began, uh, that uh, they started looking into the history of it, it would become pretty clear to, uh, even even to the outside investigators, that um, he really had a lot to do with that whole thing. And I think he's been running scared for the last year uh, that somebody would uncover his his role which the reason I know about it is because my my company was uh, in charge of we, we actually supplied all of the uh, personnel for the BSL4 facility in uh, Frederick Maryland and um, 
most of them, that that's really the reason that I had to uh, be talking to uh, Fausti uh, free, uh, every once in a while because <clears throat> he uh, he it was officially he he was officially the uh, head of the institute that was uh, uh, that had let the contract to us. So um, if we had a big enough problem. We had I had to occasionally go to the top, and that was him. Um, and so we, we we were pretty well aware that that there was uh, a lot of uh, interaction between the uh, this China, this group of Chinese scientists that kept coming over and and going through and asking our staff yeah. various questions and so on. So basically, this, I mean, so, I mean, because this was like in the early part of the century, too. So you were doing, this was during the Bush years. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, this was a long time ago, yeah. Yeah. Now, did you also work part of the Obama years, too, with this? No, I was, uh, I I was not. uh, I had uh, moved on by that time, but um, uh, I assume that. My company probably uh, maintained that contract for quite a while. I I actually uh, moved into some other areas, most personally. But so I would say my my uh, association with the whole thing stopped about 2010. Yeah. Well, I guess that I guess well, that uh, that was the, part of the the beginning yeah, the, of the yeah, uh, Obama, the Obama administration. Year, yeah. 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 So, well, I mean, yeah, I mean. It, because here's, I mean, I mean, I guess you know, you know, the point you're making is basically protecting his own reputation. And I'm going oh, to follow than up. That. With, yeah. More than uh, that. Follow up on that. Yeah, let's follow up on that. Uh, this is Tom Donaldson, Donaldson uh, Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network with Dr. Larry. Don't forget to stick around for the second half of our show, which will be the Resistance Hour, which we continue. So more of the brilliant conversation that we're now presently doing. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m. I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. 
Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, we're, you know, kind of talking about the latest news for the uh, for the next hour or so. We're starting off with, you know, I am science, I am God. Uh, uh, Tony Fauci reminds one of the King Louis the Fourteenth famous state, you know, famous the line, "I am the state." So maybe not quite like that, but close enough. Yeah, uh, you know, sometimes I wonder if Tony and God double dates or whatever. I mean, you, you would think he's one of the, like I say, most arrogant public official I have seen in a in a while. But you were making the point; it was more, to, you know, kind of follow up on the point you were saying. Well, I, I'm just thinking that <clears throat> that he's been he's been concerned right along. I think about people, somebody really uncovering his uh, personal. Uh, uh, role in the uh, in the development and uh, licensing of uh, of the Wuhan facility in China, <clears throat> and I think that's what he's been he's been worried about. And he's trying to a lot of doing a lot of misdirect and misdirection uh, to keep people off of that topic. I don't know how how much credit he would get for the fact that we. The Biden administration has not pursued that uh, that whole issue, but I would guess that he's had quite a bit. Uh, yeah. And of course, if if they do, if oh. they do, if somebody does put together the idea, that the fact that that he had a lot to do with it, then uh, they're going to be a lot more. I think that's really what why he is. Uh, he's actually, uh, I guess, I mean, uh, lying under oath. I can't imagine him doing anything that obvious uh, unless he's really getting scared. And I, I, I don't know the, the details of that, but I tend to have uh, quite a bit of confidence in, uh, in the senator from Kentucky. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, I mean, the thing that comes into play is that for all intents and purposes, the National Institute of Health pretty much all but agreed with this, that indeed this was what was going on. I mean, when I looked at their last statement, in a way they try to put Eco Alliance, who they've been funneling money through, under the bus. Well, they got, you know, they're the ones who were doing this, and, you know, um, and we didn't really know about it, which I don't believe. But the reality is they had to admit, yeah, it's going on. And and I think it's a, there's two aspects to it. The, first of all, this is a serious issue. The second part, I still I think the evidence is becoming more and more certain that this was a laboratory accident, and they've been trying to cover that part up almost from day one. Uh, and there's no doubt in my mind. I've become more and more convinced. You know, in May of last year, I made the idea. You know. Why, you know, this is a theory that ought to be looked at. And I had people say, well, you're a conspiracy therapist. 
you know, we can't be doing this. I even had some conservatives, you know, Tom, you got to watch this one. And I thought to myself, you know, why? It's logical sense. So why would? And I never, you know, I never say at the time that it was. I simply say it's something worth looking into because it makes sense. Uh, and and now I'm becoming more convinced that's exactly what happened. Well, and and the relationship that, or the connection between that um, that idea and Fauci is that the procedure how how come there was if there was an accident how come there was an accident what what who was not following yeah. what rules and the whole um security uh, system that Wuhan has is uh at least as far as i know which is not terribly uh, current but it was certainly put Put there initially uh, by uh, the same people that were doing. Uh, they took our uh, security system from uh, from uh, F- Fort Frederick, Fr- from Frederick, Maryland, to uh, and, and, and installed it in Wuhan. And the the chief agent of that uh, connection was uh, Tony Fauci. And so, yeah. if they screwed up. And they violated the uh, protocols that we had in uh, in Maryland. Uh, then that would go, that would tie back to him. How come they did that? Why weren't they trained properly? How how to come you? How did you uh, uh, yeah. give them authorization and uh, accreditation for a BSL four facility? And uh, and all of that sort of thing uh, starts to get really back. Back into his bailiwick. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, this, yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, I, yeah, this. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right because it's. I mean, to me, there's two parts to this. You know, the first part is gain of function, and let's explain to the you know, listeners what gain of function is. Essentially, this is the creation of super viruses, and I've never yet heard. The rational argument for doing this, you know, that's you know, you know I, mean, <laughs> well, I know you, the rational, but the, the you argument gotta go to the Pentagon said, for that. Yeah, well, I know that's that's my point. Maybe that's my point here, because originally they tried to defend it as a way of, well, we can learn more about these viruses and find out a, you know, treatment or cure. And which I thought to myself, but let's go create a, you know, a virus, a Frankenstein virus, and then let's see if we can cure it. <laughs> I'm not sure that, but you, know, you know, and you make a good point because to me, what is the rational explanation? And I've yet to hear from anybody say, you know, the well, the, a rational scientific. What are we gaining positive? Because the only thing I'm seeing is that, you know, this is just a step into bio warfare, biological warfare, essentially. I mean, I, I mean, what else is there to do? With this kind of research, your thoughts? Well, uh, you're pretty getting pretty close. Um, yeah. Uh, th- that connection, the connection between the Department of Defense and um, and the uh, the VSL facilities in general. There are three of them, I think, in the United States. Um, 
that connection has always been very, very secret. And I do not have any definitive information, even in the, even in the rumor level, as to um, as to whether what what the purpose or what the connection was between the uh, particularly the army and uh, and and the BSL uh, enterprise altogether. There were a lot of rumors that much of the money that was used to uh, develop the whole concept and and put these facilities into operation did in fact come uh, initially from DoD. But uh, I, I was no, I would never be able to prove that, and I don't. I, I certainly have strong suspicions that that was true, but. I don't know. I, I can't prove. I can't point to any fact that would, uh, no. you know, substantiate it. Yeah. Well, I, I must say, to me, it's a logical conclusion you're making that, you know, the Defense Department would be interested in this kind of research for this obvious reason. Either a biological more than warfare, interested. Or, <laughs> yeah. Or B, you know, I mean, or finding a cure for any of this. On the assumption that we get attacked, but beyond that, I mean, this is the thing that always got me. Is beyond that, I've yet to figure out. You know, I mean, we've not really had a debate. I mean, I don't really anybody say, "Hey, let's do this and debate it." And I think it's time for us to have that debate. You know, do we want to continue this kind of research, or is this the kind of research we shouldn't be doing? And start looking at it from, okay, let's get rid of this research around the world. Because the other aspect, I mean, again, I mean, and then, and go back to the second point. You know, why is it important to figure out the exact origin of this virus? And like I said, I've become more convinced that it was a laboratory leak. And to me, now we, I do know in 2018, the State Department basically put the Wuhan laboratory as, you know, they didn't put this on the top of their safety list. You know, there was a fear that could happen in this laboratory. So, I mean, there was at least an inkling that something was amiss. And go ahead. Well, I can't comment on that because I was not active in this arena at that time. So I really, I really can't contribute to, I mean, it's certainly not out of certainly not out of the realm of possibility by any means, but uh, I I have no personal knowledge of any anything in yeah. that time frame. Right. Well, here's the thing. But, like, this, but here's the, the story. whole I mean, thing, yeah. the, the whole thing about Fauci's connection with this whole deal yeah. uh, is, I think. Uh, Pretty clearly, uh, and I think that I think the uh, rooster is coming home to roost right now. Uh, I think a lot of evidence. The people have started to seriously look into this whole thing, and it's you know it's becoming clearer and clearer that that there is documentary evidence tying Fauci to the uh, to the to Wuhan, and uh, that's exactly what he's been afraid of. Yeah, and then let's take this even one step further because uh, here's the thing. There were numerous stories, and I'm going to get you 
where the State Department warned of issues at the laboratory in 2018. The so, State Department. Yeah. The 2018, what, the State Department. What do they have to yep. do with it, I wonder? No. Yeah, no, here's the question. In 2018, the U.S. Embassy in Beijing took the unusual steps of sending U.S. scientists, diplomats to the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which had in 2015 became China's first laboratory to achieve the highest level of international bio research uh, safety, BSL-4, which you, you discussed. They learned in their visit concerned them so much that they dispatched two diplomatic tables categorized as censored but unclassified back to Washington, warning of the safety and management weakness at the lab and proposed more attention and help. This is the first cable. Yeah. So why did, why did the Chinese invite them to do it if they knew that that was the case? I don't know. I don't think this was one of those things where they uh, were invited necessarily as much as we want to look at it. You got rid of this is during the Trump year, so you know China might have been more willing to do that for the simple reason they didn't want to mess with Trump. But and so yeah, but it's not it's not like the Chinese to. Invite yeah. a bunch of diplomats to go through a, a highly, yeah. a highly secret facility like that, and and find a lot of things scary about it. It seems like yeah. uh, that's well, the thing is, I mean, like I said, this was this was a story that was done in uh, in 2000. In fact, this was done April 2020. Uh, you know, this is where I'm getting the story from. So huh. that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so. It, I mean, the bottom line is we were being told there was a, you know warnings on this. Uh, yeah, there were warnings on this that in fact, yeah. Okay, and here's another story by Jim Garrity at National Review, where he reviews all of this into the again July 2020. And so we're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to follow up on this uh, on this because I think it, you know, it kind of hits to another aspect, you know, the centralized aspect of, you know, the importance of the origin story, and you know, and Tony Fauci's role in this. This is Tom Donaldson here in the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network, and, and uh, we'll, like I said, we're going to have a. A quick break as soon as I find myself here. Ah, here we go. <laughs> I'm running the board, and I'm sitting there trying to get the latest story doing this, and I am sitting there pushing the wrong buttons. And uh, so I now I got the right button. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri, was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent one in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. 
but every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Yes, and ladies and gentlemen, this particular segment of the Donaldson Files is sponsored by Napa Know-How. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. Yeah, Napa Know-How, and don't forget, if you want to learn more about how to become a sponsor of this show, uh, labachelor 40 at gmail.com, and uh, we can we'll get somebody out to do the right deal for you. And also, the, you can listen to this show every day on the bachelornews.airtime.pro at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And, uh, okay, back to where we were talking about here. Because here's, okay, to me, it's, I mean, because here's the thing. I mean, first of all, number one, we know gain-of-function research is being done. doesn't necessarily mean that's the connection to the leak, but it's done. We also know that they were testing bat viruses, you know, viruses from bats. Uh, and so that, too, we know. Uh, that, too, we know. And it makes more logical sense because it's basically, you know, here's what people are asking you to believe when they say the wet market. The bats are about a thousand miles away from Wuhan. I mean, it's a, you know, you know, the caves that they, you know, were testing these bats came up for like a thousand miles, nine hundred miles. The reality is that if the virus itself came from a bat, it probably was located hundreds of miles away. And so you have to believe that if bats flew into the market, somebody caught the bat and sold him on the market. Uh, or you can believe a more logical story, namely an accident occurred using that very same virus. Why does it matter? Well, there's several reasons. The first reason to me is when you have the second largest economy in a country, you know, China's wealth and uh, power. And they and they're making act leaks. You you got to start asking yourself, well, you know, if they can't keep this, you know, in the laboratory, shouldn't we all be concerned? Because obviously, you know, the Chinese owe oh, the rest of the world. Okay, we had this issue, we had this problem. This is how we're going to do it. It's kind of like Chernobyl. I mean, Chernobyl was one of the things that was high, hard to hide, a nuclear accident. But certainly, if you have something of this nature where it could contaminate and pollute and go beyond its borders, as this virus did, that it, beho- it behooves us, and it behooves us to force the Chinese to say, you know, this is what we're doing, this is how it's secure, because if we can't trust them on this, what else can you trust them on? And number two, 
uh, they lie to us repeatedly about the nature of the virus. So if they're lying about that, why aren't they going to lie about everything else? And so we can't even trust the Chinese in a future pandemic to tell us the right story if it originates in their country. And finally, the third aspect is they're responsible for the deaths of millions, the, you know, the, the economic downturn that caused trillions of dollars of economic losses and job you know, losses, the whole ball of whack. Uh, and so you know, what do they owe the rest of the world? especially after they try to hide it. And I have a sneaking suspicion that there are people within the Biden administration that doesn't want to have to deal with that as a foreign policy issue because the logic goal conclusion is we can't trust these guys. Any deal we make is going to have to be trust and verified 20 times over. Uh, so what can we – and and I'm not sure they want to have to deal with being tough on China. Your thoughts? Well, I think that's possibly a uh, kinder version of what might have happened than the other the other looming possibility that a lot of people have been wondering about, and that is that uh, the military did this on purpose uh that that this is that this is the opening yeah. salvo of the next world war and they wanted to uh test out whether they could uh spread spread uh, uh chaos and uh and uh, extreme uh difficulty in financial and every other way uh, in uh, the Western world, and that uh, this is this is how they did it. That's <clears throat> that's a pretty pretty hard hardcore uh, interpretation. But when you it's it's pretty clear that when they found out about it, at least if at least if they found out when they found out about it, they they clearly turned it into a weapon. They did not do their uh, uh, what, what we would have assumed that any uh, government would do to try to protect the rest of the world, uh, in spite of it, and the contrary, they, they uh, encouraged uh, flights and uh, and cross uh, uh, cross poisoning of uh, of all all the all the people that uh, came and went. Uh, into China, particularly, of course, starting with Wuhan, but but it wasn't confined to Wuhan very long. And when they 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 got the apparently got the uh, the pandemic before anybody else did, and they saw what it was. They instead of warning people, and uh, you know, they could have done their best to contain the whole uh, episode in in China itself. It might not have ultimately been fully successful, but it certainly would have been much more effective than the idea that uh, than what really happened, and namely that that it spread all over the Western world, and now it's it's, it's gone really even to to uh, Africa and and uh, other parts of Asia. Uh, that 
it's it's pretty clear that the army didn't the uh Chinese uh military did not do anything to try to stop it. And the question really is did they start it and did they start it on purpose? And uh, it's uh probably we'll never know, but uh it certainly is that is it is not an uh completely unincredible or unbelievable uh uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's. I mean, this. I mean, this. I mean, these are the kinds of questions that I don't think this administration wants to answer. I really don't. I mean, I think it's one of those things where they don't. And well, maybe a lot of they don't want to do any. They, they don't want to do anything with uh, against China. And I think yeah. the reason which are leads clear. me. Okay, here and here's the story. Just. You know, 10 days ago, an investment firm that counts Hunter Biden among its founder helped a Chinese company purchase one of the world's most lucrative cobalt mines by an American company, according to a report, I get this, the New York Times. God, I can't even believe it was in the New York Times. Uh, the deal was completed in 2016. I saw this company transfer from an American company to a Chinese company. And without going into all the detail, we, you, you know, it's the question. You know, it, it, it's an, it's, I, mean, I mean, here's the thing. When people say, you know, why, why does this matter? Well, first of all, number one, electric cars, just to give you one example, are dependent upon minerals like cobalt to make themselves work. The battery that goes in is part of what makes an electric car. It's a mineral used to produce an electric car. So the I and, and who's promoting electric cars? This administration. And it kind of goes back maybe. Uh, you know, to what you've been saying all along, you know, Joe Biden the Manchurian candidate. But uh, you know, it's – I mean, this is an example. I mean, he essentially – I mean, we're talking uh, – because, I mean, this is part of the battery of electric car. And in effect, here, here's – I love this. President Biden warned – about China's growing dominance of cobalt as a stumbling block to America's attempt to shift from the petrol gas key ingredient and the electric car battery market, okay? Which I think is rich. Joe Biden is warning us about doing this. His son is making money off this entire premise. Which In means other words, that he is also making money on it. Money on this, yeah. And and it kind of I mean it's I mean this guy is you know I didn't realize I mean I always thought that Biden had a corrupt side to him, but I never realized how corrupt he has to you know he truly was, or that family truly was. Uh. uh and because, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, they make, 
some point. And, and again, it's interesting enough because the only people in the media that's covered this essentially is the New York Post. And, you know, and it's not the news department of Fox News. It's the, the punditry side of Fox News, in particular Tucker Carlson, who's covered a lot of these stories in the past few months. Uh, Miranda Devine, who works for New York Post, just wrote a whole piece on this. And I'm going to take a break. I'm going to, you know, follow up on this because I think this is a nut. It's, it's a kind of a story that's connected to all of this. Now, it's almost like you can start connecting the dots. You might know me. I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in the six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger is too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. And also, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to get your flu shot. Uh, it's that type of the year. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. All right. This is the headline of a story from Randa Devine, November 29th, 2021. The headline kind of says it all. Joe Biden was involved in a deal with a Chinese giant and expecting a 10% cut. This comes from her book, Laptop from Hell, which she reconstructs the Biden family's quest for cash, you know, using the files left on the Biden abandoned laptop. And details how Hunter and Uncle Jim entered a deal with the Chinese government linked oh, Energy Company, CEFC, and contracted, contacted Tony Bobulinski, a friend of theirs, to run the enterprise. And they have a, she has a story where, you know, Tony meets the big guy, Joe Biden himself. And they talk about this meeting. But it comes down to... I mean, this guy, you know, it, it comes down to the company. Again, this is a Chinese company he's doing business with, that they're doing business with. Now, this was in 2017, so before he ran for the presidency. So, yeah. And you, you started looking at this stuff, and you're like, okay. You know, what, you know, there's, I guess, duck. You know, I hate to be these conspiracy type deals, but. You know, there's this part of me that says, you know, there's so many dots that are going here. Okay, first of all, you have the Wuhan laboratory, and you have Tony Fossey protecting his butt. And now you got the big guy, and you got now we have a story 
that was reported of all places on the New York Times, stating he was you know part of a cobalt company company to give cobalt to the Chinese government to the Chinese. Which basically means they have extensive control over the electric car business here in the United States. Is that the New York and Times you, or the New York the New York News? No, no. This was in the that last story was in the New York Times ten days ago. I guess they haven't yet deleted it. So, yeah, they haven't yet deleted it. So, yeah, the New York Times. Even acknowledge this. It's going to be interesting well, if, to see how long it'll say. Yeah. If they turn against, uh, if they turn against uh, Joe Biden, it will yeah. be a earthquake. Absolutely. But yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, and so I mean, I mean, you you made this you've made the statement before, but I mean, here's the thing. It, this, to me, is a big story, and it'll be interesting to see how far the media goes with these stories, with these two stories. Because uh, you got to remember, the New York Post was censored by the social media <laughs> and censored by the mainstream media when that story of the laptop came out. You know, nobody, I mean, it was like the only people, you know, in fact, uh, a lot of uh, the social media people actually blocked access to the New York Post for a period of time. I mean, that's how desperate they were to keep that story right. from getting out before the election. They were pretty pretty uh, successful, too. Yeah, they were very successful, too. And, and the point here, I mean, the, my point will be to this audience is that this is a big – I mean, these are two big stories. I mean, Miranda Devine's book, he's essentially saying in effect – that they were the Biden family was making money working with the Chinese with Joe Biden using his influence to get it done. In other words, they were you talking to Jim Biden and to Hunter because of his last, their last names and giving them and they're essentially working with these people. We're talking about you know allowing the Chinese to get a substantial hold over a good portion of the resources needed to make an electric car, as an example. And and you look at, you know, why are they afraid to go after the Chinese dealing with the Wuhan virus origin? I don't know. It, I, you, you because hate the Chinese allegory. told them not to. Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, they told the AWHO. I mean, they basically said, you know, we're, you, know you can come in, but we're not going to let you investigate. <laughs> but here's the story we want you to tell, which is exactly what they did. And uh, it's interesting because if you read the reports coming out of the Trump era, they have some pretty damn good evidence. Hey, this is what truly happened. And then you know, Joe Biden had his own story, and basically their conclusion was, ah, we can't prove anything. I mean, they went from – because I think it was interesting. They, didn't, they went in that direction. We can't prove anything for a simple reason. They can prove it. They just don't want to admit it. And the Biden people want to make sure it doesn't get out that indeed the Chinese were involved, and the you know the Wuhan virus. 
I know. Why don't you kind of remind audience exactly some of the things you stated when you used you, – because you wrote a piece on this on the maturing candidate, uh, Joe Biden. Why don't you kind of, you know, give an audience a little bit of taste of that article and how it relates to what we're talking about here tonight? Well, um, the, the the whole piece has to be um, introduced by the realization that I do not have any concrete evidence uh, of the uh, of, of the conjecture that uh, we uh, started to uh, that we started in this in this in this piece, but. Uh, the basic the basic premise is that um, the assault on American culture and uh, institutions is so widespread and uh, that and has been going on for such a long time that it's almost inconceivable that it would be the work of a few uh, uh, sort of fanatics that are uh, involved in such things as the woke uh, phenomenon, and uh, so I went on to give on to give some examples. Um, the first, oh, the idea, for example, that that uh, the the uh, Confucius Institutes have been uh, uh, funded by. Uh, the, the Chinese government for universities all over the country, and in many cases, particularly uh, uh, small liberal arts colleges, which who are looking uh, desperately for enough money to keep going, uh, these uh, grants from uh, China have been uh, essentially life-saving. And that has, in turn, uh, allowed them a very uh, esteemed place on uh, on the campus because uh, uh, they are, in fact, uh, very um, uh, necessary to the continued existence of a lot of these schools. And what is what's the importance of that? The importance is that they have they now have in that. In those uh, in that uh, initiative, they have in fact uh, provided their 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 uh, the base for a uh, intellectual attack on uh, capitalism and on the uh, general American approach to uh, everything, uh, including foreign relations. So that and in fact they've made a lot of converts, and this is true not only uh, in small colleges, but also in uh, large, it's generally in the private, the private colleges, but uh, many of the elite uh, universities in the United States, in fact, are in private hands, not, not public. Uh, there are exceptions to that, but, but there are, uh, uh, so, and it's been considered in the academic world as kind of a uh, mark of distinction, if you're chosen, quote, chosen by the Chinese to uh, to uh, uh, give your your institution uh, one of these uh, Confucian institutes, 
So that that's that's one thing. It's, it's very intellectual. Now take away and then start thinking in terms of the opposite, which is all the uh, uh, violence and and uh, riots and uh, mob rule that we have in terms of. Uh, the last couple of years in in the United States, uh, particularly in the big cities, uh, and and that is of course not anything but intellectual, but it does um, attack uh, many of the uh, institutions in the United States, and in fact the um, the actors and the people that are uh, in in, in involved in organizing and uh, funding these uh, uh, incidents are, are generally uh, not known particularly. They're not particularly known very well. And in, in many cases, they are uh, not known at all. And, uh, and here, so you've got attacks on the institutions from the two extremes, one, one being intellectual and the other being uh, violent. And then that, of course, has expanded into attacks on the uh, police, on uh, on uh, the whole idea of uh, the law, the legal system in the United States, and uh, and then in between all of that, you also have the uh, what I call the unholy alliance, which is a, um, a sort of meeting of the minds of. Uh, uh, a, a small, relatively small group of uh, billionaires uh, who are uh, providing virtually unlimited funding for a number of activities, uh, some known, some not, uh, and that these people, these the same group of people, is basically uh, owns uh, approximately 80% uh, of all the assets in the United States and are gradually uh, uh, turning the entire economy into their own uh, play playground. And they decided, uh, in, most of them started out in high tech, but now they've expanded into retail, into uh, like Amazon, into uh, uh, the uh, whole field of uh, communications, including not only broad broadcast, uh, TV and uh, and radio, but also uh, uh, the uh, new great newspapers in the United States. And so then they decided, uh, what else to do? Well, let's buy a political party. So they went and bought the <laughs> Democrat Party. And, yeah. and now you've yeah. got uh, the uh, the other piece is the uh, the deep state. So yeah. it, it goes on and on, but the, the basic un, 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 yeah. assumption is it would take uh, a, a very sophisticated uh, and very uh, dis disparate uh, expertise and funding. It's way beyond the power of any uh, simple uh, fanatic group in uh, in, in like. Uh, this yeah. uh, girl over in Long Island. It's it's much more credible than it is Chinese behind it. Well, like I said, I'm not sure. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, to me, is I look at this whole thing because you know Jock, Joe Cockton, who is a independent, longtime Democrat, has been writing about these kinds of issues for a long time, and he uses the word 
like he wrote a book on it, the new feudalism. Where, and if you sit back and you look at the capitalistic reset, and this is the nice thing about, you know, because we're not really necessarily doing what I view as conspiracy theories, because if it's because conspiracy theories usually are things that you don't know about. They're done in the you know the back alley in the back room. Uh, these people actually give speeches, and in fact, <laughs> um, this is what they want to do. The capitalist reset is a good example, where you literally had a group of these people, you know, people like Bill Gates and others, basically saying we're going to reset capitalism to this, to you know, to do it in this fashion. And and I'm you know, it's like, and so. Um, it's it's like in this, you know, it's in that realm that we can sit back and say, you know, this unholy alliance is out there, but they're open about it. It's not like they're hiding this anymore. Uh, I mean, these are the things that they want to do. They state this want to do this. They say how they want to do it. You look at the Confucius Institute and the cooperation of a lot of colleges. Um, years ago, I can remember when we got into the discussion of the you know, Russian collusion hoax and all this. And I made the observation to a left-wing friend of mine. I said, look, and, I, and in fact, I did a whole show, and then I said, look, the Chinese and the Russians and other countries have been in, trying to influence our politics for a long time. This is nothing new. In the 1980s, the Russians pretty much were involved in the nuclear freeze movement. Uh, the Confucius Institute is one of those moons where they're getting access to a future generation of you know of college students, who many of them who are going to be policy makers, dealing with China, to influence what it is, you know they should be learning about China, and in effect they're helping to teach a future generation how you know to be propagandist for the Chinese government. There are a lot of ways the countries do this to influence, and there's. And it's self I mean, it's self, you know, it is very obvious. Whereas, okay, the Russian collusion hoaxes, you know, I always thought to myself, you know, Donald Trump was a lot tougher on Putin than Obama or Biden will be. And yet, some, and I said, well, if he bought, if he was one of these guys that bought uh, Trump, he didn't get his money's worth. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, yeah, and well, I think, to, uh, I think the, I think the underlying thing is that the uh, Chinese probably have a vault full of uh, tapes and documents that uh, are highly compromising to a uh, president of the United States, and that if they yeah, ever yeah. decided to leak some of that to the appropriate uh, members of the unholy alliance, he would be uh, tried as a as a traitor. But you know what? But you know how many of those? Uh, how many of those are the unholy alliance? And are themselves influenced by the Chinese? Sure. So well, look at Wall Street. Yeah. How do you, how do you so, how do you how do you account for a tremendous a tremendous record-setting uh, run on Wall Street? If you, uh, in in view of all of the problems that we've got in the in the up in the economy. And uh, yeah. the answer is, look at look at the companies that are leading that charge. They're all high tech and uh, and all very uh, invested in China. 
Yeah, hold on that thought. I'm going to say this. We're going to say goodnight from the Donaldson Files, uh, and we're going to be stay tuned for the Resistance Hour as Dr. Larry and Tom once again dissect brilliantly uh, how the, you know the, how the real world truly works. So this is Tom Donaldson saying good night. Trumpet, you know it's the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'm Dr. Larry Fidewa, and uh, I'm one of your co-hosts for the evening. And tonight we're going to start with a little different approach, and that is uh, I'm going to uh, talk about a uh, column that I just wrote for the uh, Richfield Press called uh, the The GOP's Challenge, Get Ready for the next election cycle. And listening to the uh, Republicans lately makes you wonder if we even need elections in 2022 or 2024, such as the optimism they have regarding GOP prospects. There are two considerations which suggest caution in the face of such enthusiasm. First, there are the recent examples of the dangers of overconfidence, the most dramatic being the election, the election in 2016 of Donald Trump, when the Dems thought that Hillary was a shoe-in. Lesson one, never take anything in politics for granted. Lesson two comes from the uh, 2016 to 18 Republican sweep of the executive and both houses of Congress. They could not govern because of internal differences. They could not even agree to defeat Obamacare, the federal takeover of the health insurance industry, and anathema to all Republicans. One dissident Republican was able to topple the entire legislative effort in order to win and to govern successfully. The Republican Party needs three things, discipline, outreach, and messaging. For discipline, uh, let's talk about Donald Trump last week when he urged his party to field primary uh, candidates to challenge Senate and House Republicans who voted with the Democrats in the recent so-called infrastructure bill. The rhinos and never-Trumpers were incredulous. The rest of us were thinking, it's about time somebody spoke out on this topic. How could any straight-thinking Republican support what amounts to driving the USA another mile into becoming a socialist state? The 2,500-page document also came 
with not only amnesty, but also cash rewards for illegal immigrants. They had unlimited support for alternative fuels and attacks on America's current energy industry. These attacks on fossil fuels contribute to critical inflation at home and also weaken America's international standing in the face of increasing challenges by our enemies, not to mention creating an enormous debt load in a time of raging inflation and a stubborn pandemic. And these are only a few of the reasons this this bill should be set afire, all 2,500 pages, and thrown into the Potomac. Instead, the bill passed the House with 12 Republican votes. How on earth could this happen? What are these people thinking? One can only speculate. The most likely answer to that question for the old-timers in Congress may be that they don't realize who they are dealing with. They think that today's Dems are like their predecessors in the past generation, people who had the good of the nation at heart, who were willing to compromise in order to facilitate the business of the Congress, and whose ideas were worth serious consideration. But these people are gone. The Dems today are believers in the my way or the highway. They do not compromise. They are not your friends. They hate your ideas and probably you yourself for holding such reactionary opinions. So the flip-flop Republicans in both houses must go. They have been given their chance to join the new Republican Party, and they have refused, for whatever reason. It doesn't mean that they are mean, bad, or stupid people, but it does mean that they are not soldiers in the cause to rescue our country from a new and extremely determined opposing party, which is dedicated to destroying the America we cherish. Our mission has no place for them. The second area is outreach. If nothing else is true about Donald Trump, one fact is unassailable. He has reached out to the entire galaxy of American voters. His approach included both campaigning and governance. All his policy initiatives took into consideration the welfare of the less fortunate in our society. And, as we all know, the results were spectacular. Each and every candidate for each and every office in each and every election from now on should make it a point to seek out the underrepresented. Take the advice of one of the finest cross-racial Republican candidates or politicians of the last generation, Bob Livingston of Louisiana. Asked how he had attained 95% of the black vote in his district, he said, I listened to them. Donald Trump added not only minorities to his campaign and governing agenda, but he also spoke to the working class and to women. The results with these voters varied, with union households being more successful, perhaps, than suburban women, but he tried. If future Republicans can build on the foundations of universal appeal, 
by former President George W. Bush, who got 44% of the Hispanic vote, and Donald J. Trump, the future of the GOP is bright. And that leaves messaging. Today's messaging has to be more carefully crafted than previous efforts, thanks to the woke movement. Nevertheless, an old saying of my father still holds. You have to get the hay down where the horses can eat it. There is such a thing as Washington speak, which prides itself on being conversant with all the latest acronyms and current legislation initiatives and theories, personalities, and players. And this lingo is a requirement for discussions inside the Washington Beltway. But outside the Washington Beltway, it is important to speak, write, and advertise in plain English. It is not true. It, it is true that there are some voters who are well-informed in Washington speak, but most are not. In order to attract their attention and vote, the message has to be clearly presented in American vernacular. The best example of this messaging is Mr. Trump, who continues to be able to attract tens of thousands of people, even in the middle of the night, to hear his message. Enough said. So in the humble opinion of this observer, success in the coming elections, which are crucial to our survival as, American, or as Americans, are this. Do not underestimate the opposition. Exercise the discipline in the choice of candidates as well as governance. Outreach to all voters. Keep the messaging appropriate to the audience. And finally, pray to God that the Dems do, don't steal another election. You're listening to the Bachelor News Radio Network. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or Because I said so, or Don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. Oh, no, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. I want to fill the seat with somebody. Yeah, I want to dance with somebody. With somebody who loves me. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And Tom, it's your turn. <laughs> wow. I was so 
what can I say? You nailed it on the head again. Uh, you know, here's the thing. It, it, you know, I, I would make you know the observation number one is we need to have, as you stated, a message that hits America. I think first thing we need to understand where we are today. We are the party of the middle class. We are the party of the entrepreneur, the small businesses. We're the party of those people who want to move up the economic ladder. And we're also the party that is defending American culture. Uh, you, know, we, you brought this up in the initial hour on the Donaldson Files, and I really wanted to kind of – but I think it's very important to talk about the aspect because if you look at Virginia as an example, what are those issues that matter? It's not just the critical race theory per se. Is the fact that Americans love their country. They want, while they are not going, while they will not, you know, while they will have no problems with the fault of our country being taught, but teach us a country that keeps getting better, adding more, you know, allowing more freedoms, more liberties, and a country that even in its perfection is the greatest country. And this is the cultural battle we're in. And I think that one of the problems you come into is that uh, the Republicans understand is that we're no longer in an economic battle per se as much as a cultural battle. You know, defending free market economics is not just about defending free market economics because it works, brings prosperity, but because it's a culturally superior to the socialistic alternatives where people can be the best they can be, move up the economic ladder, and I mean, it's not just about dollar and cents, but about morality. You know, do you want the government to dictate to you, or do you want to be able to be free to pursue? And one of the one of the things I keep telling people, I keep you know doing this. I, I look at the records, and the one thing that becomes clear to me, you know, we've had a grand, we've had grand experiments, two grand experiments. The first grand experiment we had dealt with how to you know survive a pandemic and the republican party republican governors republican states have a far lower unemployment far lower than democratic states in other words and if you look at death per capita not a significant difference in other words they didn't stop the spread from the virus even in their more dictator you know they use to stop the virus they you know they failed, and yet Republicans were able to demonstrate, like DeSantis in Florida, you can keep an economy going, you can keep things flowing when you allow people to be freer, to be free, and treat them like adults. The second aspect comes in with the crime. What has happened since we, quote, unquote, defunded the police, reduced the budget of the police? The answer is high crime. A good portion of these crimes have occurred in minority areas. Many minorities are, you know, they want the police back. They don't want the budget to be cut. They want them to either stay the same or increase. They want the police back on the streets to protect their community. And when you look at places like San Francisco, where literally, you know, you literally can walk in and steal up to a thousand, you know, nine hundred and fifty dollars worth of goods and not get get you know, not go to jail. You can shoplift and not go to jail. You can steal and not go to jail. And now they're starting to attack the suburban, you know, stores. 
with the same kind of strategy. It's as if chaos and anarchy rules. In part, and, and again, this is a cultural battle as more as much as it is, in my view, an economic bot, a battle. Your thoughts? Well, it is. Uh, it, 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 but it's, it's really a little more than that. It's a battle for the power of the uh, United States. Uh, probably, I guess you would, you could, you could uh, contend that it is the power to run the United States, and it's not just a cultural uh, uh, phenomenon that they're not after just uh, the idea of trying to destroy the, the as they call it, the counter, the, uh, the you know, the destructive parts of the uh, of the uh, of destructive destruction of our uh, of our different uh, uh, foundations it's it's also a very strong quest for power because these people are not going to be uh, satisfied with just uh, uh, winning the the, the cultural value, value, and you know, letting everybody sing "Kumbaya," they they want to they want to run things so that the way that they perceive um, the uh, the future of the United States and the world—it's it's not just the United States; it's really an American Marxism, as uh, as our friend uh, Mark Levin has called it. Uh, they they believe the the fanatics believe in some some kind of uh, equality that everybody has not not the equality of opportunity it's the equality of li- of uh, results of resources of of the material things of the world and um, th- this this changes as you get uh, into greater and greater uh, uh, realms of wealth and uh, and and uh, financial power. When you start getting into the the, the multi-billionaires, uh, they they want power because they want to be able to tell the people what to do. But in many cases, they're also convinced that their approach to things is is really better than than what we have now. It's it's a very complicated but but very vicious and very uh, uh, unfortunate kind of thing to uh, be uh, to be uh, confronted with, and we, we haven't really figured out how to how to beat it. But one way we can beat it is to maintain the uh, as you say the cultural aspects of our of our society yeah. uh, successfully. Yeah, I mean, I, I say to me when I look at because here's the thing: in the past, when we talked about cultural battles, we've talked about, uh, you know, it's like abortion. Maybe we talk, we would talk about abortion, talk about uh, gay rights. And I think, you know, in my view is very simple. It goes beyond the culture. Is about who we. You know, the way I like to put it this way: what kind of country do we want America to be? That's essentially what we're really debating. What kind of country we want to be? Do we want to be a free country? Do we want to be a country that 
People can be the best they can possibly be, move up the economic ladder, create wealth for themselves and their families, and at the same time benefit their community? Or do they want the government to basically dictate exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to do it, the size of your house, the kind of car you're going to drive, uh, whether or not you're going to wear a mask during flu season, or whether or not you can be allowed to travel if you don't have if you're not vaccinated and and the definition of fully vaccinated keeps changing it's now three vac it's three shots not just two as they, you know you know so you're in that and this is the kind of society that we're debating you know you, it's the difference between being in Florida in California or New York and and I think it, it, it yeah and and it comes down, I mean, this is to me, and this is why I think the Republican Party needs not just to understand, because this is what won Virginia in one way. Because parents were looking at what's being taught in, their, in the schools when they were at home. They were looking at what's being taught, and they were seeing the results of it. They were basically having their children taught that they should hate themselves if they're white. They were teaching Minorities to be victims, not not people to take advantage of the opportunities that exist. Uh, it, it, I mean, this is just one example. We got the you know the incident in Loudoun County where literally, you know, under the guise of transgenderism, a young teenage boy rapes a young teenage girl, and the school hides it. They keep it covered. It's basically having a governor say, parents have no say in their kids' education. We'll tell you what your kids should learn. We don't want you involved. You know, they belong, essentially, McAuliffe might as well have just stated they belong to the state. And I think this is the kind of messaging that Republicans need to start talking in these terms. It's not just about, you know, cut tax cuts. As much as I may love tax cuts or keeping budget spending, that's all important. But it's equally important to, you know, to basically say, what kind of country do you want this to be? A country where you can literally get on a plane, go from Cedar Rapids to New York to visit your family, or are you going to be denied access? Because you didn't get properly, quote, unquote, vaccinated according to the state, or you're not wearing the right mask according to the state even though the studies themselves don't even back the position that they take. It's no longer about science. As you stated, it's about control. Your thoughts. Well, that, uh, I think that's, I think that's a good slogan. Uh, what, what, uh, what, what, what kind of an America do you want? Uh, and I think most, most people would say, well, we want to be free, and uh, but it's it's really it's much more um, it's much more uh, invidious than that in a, in a way because you know you've got oddly as it sounds there's an alliance between the people that are in the streets and um, and uh, you know. Devastating the uh, the uh, the uh, shops and the businesses of the mostly of minority communities, uh, 
because they're small and and they're they're very uh, uh, they're very vulnerable. Um, but there's a, there, but there is a, 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 a commonness of purpose between those people and the people that are trying to uh, uh, shove down the throats of the rest of us the kinds of uh, legislation that was in the uh, in the so-called infrastructure bill, um, and, and that that's that's kind of a that's a big swing because you would think that. That those people that are um, uh, in in the in the exercise right now of trying to uh, uh, take over the country would be an entirely different outfit than the people that that we find uh, in the streets and, and uh, destroying things, and and so I think we have to we have. To, and I think this is really what what happened with the uh, people, that the uh, Republicans that went went against uh, or went for the, uh, the the vote the other night, and that was that they they think they think they're dealing with different people than they really are. They don't they don't really realize that the people they're talking about and talking to um, are, are just they're fanatics and. Uh, we're going to talk more about this in a few minutes. Uh, you're listening to the, uh, the Resistance Hour and the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. Every day I wake up at 5 a.m. to give dad his medicine. At 6 a.m. I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. So, um, I guess I guess yeah. part of our our question tonight is um, what 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 is happening with the uh, I mean, what's the best way out of all this? And it seems like the best way out of it is if we can get uh, a conservative uh, government. Instead of the uh, crazy people we now have, 
And that, in turn, depends upon elections, and we hope, anyway. Um, and so that's why I was uh, stressing that we don't want to be we don't want to be so optimistic that we're going to uh, take all we're going to take things for granted. And and if you listen to the to the uh, people right now that appear to be sort of uh, in the know, um, you're 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 hearing a type of optimism that just I think is very I think is pretty dangerous, frankly, because uh, these these folks, you know, they're perfectly capable of turning on a dime and doing certain things that that we didn't think about and. Who knows what's going to happen in politics in the next uh, in the next year and a half or two years? So, mm-hmm. and and not only that, but but the the fact that we have such little um, really understanding, or or at least there, there's a whole there's a whole disconnect between the uh, many of the uh, elected Republicans and and the actual feelings and, and desires of, of a lot of people of individuals um, they're yeah. you know they're, they're they're just not on the same page and that frankly uh, has a big uh, possibility of uh, backfiring on us and uh, so that's why I'm uh, urging the a very unfortunate uh, position that we really have to uh, we have to c- kind of get rid of the people that that aren't playing our game. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, my view has always been very simple because uh, I'm more of a poli- I, I, I I'm a political operative as much as I'm an idealist. I mean, I have the real world getting people elected, and my view has always been you get the most conservative person. Who can get elected? But and I do think this is the way I kind of view certain things. For example, if you live in Wyoming, uh, it is self-evident that Liz Cheney has left the reservation a long time ago. I mean, it, it's that I'm at that point. Uh, and the other aspect that comes to the you know play. So to me, so. If you got a state where, hey, let's be blunt, you know, Trump takes by sixty, you know, sixty, you know, thirty, well, 40, 30, 40 points, you pretty much can put the best possible, uh, the, the best possible candidates. You got a, lot, a wide way to look at this. In other words, you don't have to nominate a rhino. Let's nominate somebody for real. Let's be done with her. You know, Alaska is going to be a very interesting test. At least Moraski is part of a family dynasty in that state. That's what kept her up there for so long. But again, it's a Republican state, and so you know if she's not going to play ball, you know there's no then let's put somebody else in there. Uh, and I agree, you know that I say, you know it gets a little trickier, you know when you get to states like Maine where you have Susan Collins, who's going to give you seventy percent of what you want, and the other guy is going to give you zero. So you tolerate because she's basically the best Republican you're going to elect in that community, uh, and it's a it's that fine line. I, I would agree with you. You know, in those areas in particular where we dominate, you don't send your rhinos back to Congress. 
you don't. You'd be rid of them. And uh, it, you know, that's, well, you know, there that's may what, have to be some recruiting. There may have to be yeah. some recruiting that we didn't, that we normally wouldn't do. And who's going to do that? Yeah. It seems to me that would be the the uh, local, the local uh, party uh, yeah. activists. We've got to get them singing the same song. Yeah. And I think that can be a liber. I think that can be done at a national level. Well, I, there's a point. I mean, you got to point out to them because the thing is, like I say, there are certain issues. I mean, here's the, the, the beauty of all of this is this. There are certain issues that are running our direction. It doesn't take a genius. You know, you don't have to be a genius as a political operative to figure this one out. Uh, crime. People hate crime. People hate increased crime, whether they're black, white, or Hispanic. Uh, they don't want defunding the police. I mean, even Democrats like Eric Adams or the gentleman in Buffalo who won figured this out. You know, they ran against a bunch of socialist type and said, oh, and they won in those and they won because they promised to re, you know, to enforce the law. Uh, You go. So, you know, so this is the G inflation. And spending, it's all connected because everybody knows that prices are going up. You know, they don't need to be told that we have six percent on, you know, inflation. They don't because they're paying what a dollar. What are you paying? I'm, I'm paying like a dollar twenty more for gas than I paid last year. You know, how much are you paying? Oh, um, probably not quite that much because we we live next. We live three twenty five. Three twenty five. Yeah. Okay. Three twenty five says my uh, my uh, yeah. my guest economist. Yeah, researcher. Yeah, yeah, researcher. <laughs> Yeah, the researcher back there. Yeah, no, it, yeah, but again, like I say, I'm, last time I was like three, I mean, I, I filled up the gas tank the other day, it was like 310, 315 in Iowa. Uh, you go to California, you're looking at five bucks. Uh, oh, yeah. And so, people are not and so, I mean, like that. no, they're not going to like that. It, it, but, and if so we that, don't get you know, the right yeah, people, could, if we don't get the right people, even yeah. if they're Republicans, if they don't act like Republicans, then uh, we haven't gained anything. Yeah. Yeah. I do have an official announcement from the tax. I got a tax that says 325 in Virginia. So that's been verified. That's what she just said. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah, you know, so. So, I, I, I you know, it, it's, I mean, this is where I'm at. I mean, I, exactly what you're saying here. I mean, it's, it comes down to that. I mean, but the thing is, the issues are on our side. It doesn't take a genius to, to figure this out, what you need to campaign on. Uh, inflation. Energy prices going up. Uh, crime in the street. These are all unpopular things. <laughs> These are unpopular things. So... Yeah, your thoughts. Well, um, I, I agree. Uh, I also know that uh, not everybody goes and, and 
and follows through on what they promised or what they ran on uh, yeah. in order before they uh, once they get elected. And I'm that's uh, part of what what I'm concerned about. I just don't. Well, like here's the, the thing. Here's the yeah. That, but the, 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 know, we don't get. Yeah. I think we got we got to get the right kind of people in there. Yeah, there's no doubt, and you got to get the right candidate and a candidate that can win and govern, and more importantly, follow through on their promises. You're absolutely correct. And uh, and I do think that that comes into play. And uh, and we got a lot of opportunity. Ohio, we got Pennsylvania, uh, you have Nevada, you've got Arizona, Georgia, I mean, New Hampshire. These are all states that were to the incumbent. They're there are states right now where the incumbent Democrat, New Hampshire, um, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, they're all under 50%. And most of them are closer to 45%. And, uh, 45% and of what? Of, you know, of, you know, say popularity. I mean, literally, oh, I mean, you, you, like oh. Masters is, yeah, the incumbent. You got incumbent Democrats running around forty five percent at this stage of the game, well, and so yeah, and so we got. And we're talking about Nevada, which has gone Democratic the last two elections. We're talking Arizona that went. I suspect they went Democratic. Uh, yeah. They may have been a few extra voting changes there somewhere. <laughs> Georgia, I mean, these are all states in New Hampshire. These are all states that we can take and grab. And I think it, you know you got to you know grab and and these are also states that can be friendly to the right message that's Trumpian. And and, and like your state of Virginia demonstrated how you can be Trumpian without being like Trump. You know, Youngton ran a Trumpian campaign. You know, he did not run an establishment Republican-style campaign. He ran a Trumpian culture matter type of campaign where he reached out and you know, and said, okay, this is what the people want. This is what the people are seeing. We've got to do something about it. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think listen, listening, to, listening to people as well as talking to them is always a, a very good uh, – uh, way to find out what 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 they're thinking and what you ought to be uh, paying attention to, um, and I, I certainly I certainly agree with that. Um, I think that that uh, is doubly true when you're talking that you should be talking to uh, non people that are traditionally not uh, Republicans, and by that I mean the minority communities, particularly the black community, uh, you have to do what uh, Bob uh, Livingston said right on this show that you should do, and that is listen. You got to listen to them, and it seems so obvious. A lot of people don't, you know, in the first place they don't even go to these to these uh, venues, yeah. and, and secondly, they uh, they don't listen. They just they just try to talk over everybody. Um, yeah. It, it, and, but but the, the the key thing really, to, and I think you mentioned it a couple of times, the key thing is to understand that there's a lot at stake here. 
I mean, this is the most yeah. serious threat we have had in my lifetime uh, of uh, to the American way of of living and and, and the, the uh, free market the free market uh, economic system and and personal freedom. And so we're going to take a break uh, right now to uh, listen to uh, the. Uh, you're listening to the Re- Resistance Hour with uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or Because I said so, or Don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit adoptuskids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. And don't forget, you can listen to this show and other great shows on the Bachelor News Radio Network on bachelornews.airtime.pro. And the last segment of this show is brought to you by... Napa Know How! Napa Guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. So, Tom, what are we uh, concluding by uh, from all this? My conclusion would be is very. I mean, you, you know, we've kind of gone through this, and but to make it very clear, understand what the issue is, understand the importance of this election, and now we've not gotten into the nuts into the the election security side, but the nuts and bolts aspects are important as well. You know what? And again, interesting aspect. I'm going to use Virginia as an as an example, and that example is this. I can tell you right now, because I know this for a fact, I was involved in the campaign the last couple of weeks. I had a chance to talk to a lot of different people. And I'm going to tell you, you had people ready at, at, I mean, like we had, you know, these people were training people to be poll watchers, to be election officials. I mean, uh, one person put it to me, he said, the number of people volunteering to do these basic things you need to do. And you also had attorneys sitting there ready. Let me give you an example of a story because uh, it was vital. In Fairfax County, they were not. They were basically putting up signs. You, you know, you cannot vote unless you have a mask. You know, you have to come into the voting panel. You have to have a mask. The reality was, it's not in the Virginia law. The Virginia law, in fact, forbids you from prevent from preventing anybody from voting, even if they don't wear a mask. And so, what these attorneys did. They got a list of complaints. 
They called up the election board and said, hey, look, this is going on. You've got to do something about this. And they went and publicized it. And within a – I must say within a couple, within an hour or so, the election board was sending everything out to Fairfax County saying, hey, look, you can't do this. This is not legal. If they don't wear a mask and they want to vote, you let them vote, period. And this was obviously directed because they were hoping to discourage Republicans, mostly who don't wear the mask, uh, from voting. Know the rules of your state. Play by the rules of the state. And don't let the other guy win. It, you know, get your votes out. You know, you know, have poll watchers, have election officials, train people to do these things. Train people to have your attorneys there just in case you need to fight in the courts. You'll get those attorneys right there ready to fight. It, you know, this is a pitched battle, and that when we and those nuts and bolts things matter. Uh, your thoughts? Well, I'm wondering what your um, take is on what. Why did the uh, Republicans that uh, defected from the uh, that voted for the with the Democrats on the? Uh, it was actually uh, I think it was 19 of them uh, senators too uh, on the yeah. same thing. You know, I I did, what, you know, what, what, is your, what is your interpretation of that? My what, interpretation what was. Right. My interpretation was deals were made because their states got benefits from the infrastructure deal. That's essentially it. Or in some cases, they were in states, you know, you know districts where, you know, they're, you know, it's, it's more purple than it is red. But I'm going to say they viewed this, ah, let's give them this one, and we're not going to vote for the big, the really big bill, which is, the, you know, the bill back better, which is the two to three, four trillion dollar debacle, which is even worse than this one. That's my thought. Somewhere along the line, because, you know, we had, you know, I know some of the Republicans and some of these Republicans are in state, where quite frankly, they shouldn't be worried about reelection. Or they just got reelected like uh, McConnell. But I'm just thinking somebody greased some pans somewhere to get their state a little bit extra and they, you know, sign on to the gravy train as opposed to doing the right. Well, it's a lot harder to, to get um, to get these uh, favors into uh, legislation anymore than it used to be. You yeah. know, they they have yeah. they, they did get a some at some point there the, the um, what do they call that the uh, uh, not the enhancement but uh, anyway where they where they had the, the opportunity to. Uh, Put a, uh, a a rider onto a piece of legislation and and uh, yeah. pretty yeah. much yeah. Uh, pork barrel. You, yeah, I mean, you know, pork, like yeah. a, well, the pork yeah. barrel. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get a get a bridge for my district on a uh, defense bill or something like yeah. that. Uh, that's that's a lot harder to do now these days. And, it did, uh, but they still can. Yeah, they can still do it. They can still do it, and I, that's just my theory. I, I just think that's my theory because there is no other rational explanation because we're talking about a $1.2 trillion bill on a infrastructure bill, which 20% dealt with infrastructure. You dealt with a lot of green stuff, you know, like uh, 500,000 charging, you know, across the country. So, I mean, yeah. you, can, you know, they're going to sit, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, 
And plus, frankly, you know, we didn't need to get him to victory. We needed to stop the, the stopping uh, and to kind of send a message. Because, again, you know, you're absolutely – because now you got the really big bill, and this bill is even worse. I mean, it's basically a transformation of America with all kinds of welfare, new welfare programs, expansion of government welfare. So, yeah, that, so, go ahead. That, that certainly is a, a possible explanation. I, I don't yeah. know. It's, it's hard yeah. to believe I, in a way that <clears> – <throat> Even with that, it's still hard to believe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I didn't say it was right. I'm just saying this is just my theory. I mean, I can't explain. I mean, what other explanation is there? Uh, But I thought it was a very stupid move politically. We didn't have to give in to any of this, to be honest. No, I mean, that was going to pass. The Democrats have a lot better discipline than the Republicans, that's for sure. Well, yeah, at least on this bill they did, because Manchin and Cinema were going to vote for this bill. What they're not going to do is vote for the really big bad bill, the really big, the even worse bill. How's that? I don't know. It, it's still, it's still hard to understand. Well, well one thing we know is that we don't have any uh, altruism in the uh, in the Republican. Uh, and at least in those twelve people, that uh, it's it's uh, yeah. it's it's all a matter of uh, uh, fairly crude economics, I guess. Yeah. Well, let me just say to me, the real issue is going to be the the, the next bill, because this is the ultimate test. If any Republican votes for this next bill under any circumstances, they should be drummed out of the party. I mean, not even they should be drummed. It's not. There's no rational reason to vote for the build big back build back better and it's going to be a key element is mansion and cinema now mansion if he wants to have a political career in west virginia he's going to have to make that this you know you know now he has to 2024 to run but the reality if he wants a political career in west virginia you know he's got to start voting in that term cinema is very interesting because she's in a purple state and she's being a purple candidate. Uh, and when you consider the fact how the Democrats have actually treated her, I mean, they've treated her in many ways worse than they've treated us re- almost as bad as Republicans when you go back, when they're chasing her into the bathroom. Uh, yeah. So and so I think this is a key element because those are the only, I mean, those are the only two people. I mean, and, and the thing that comes in play, somebody said, you know, they're voting 80% of the time with the Democratic caucus. It's not like they're true moderates. It's that the rest of the party has gotten so far left that they look like moderates. But even they figure out, you know, three, an extra $3 trillion on top of what we already spent. Remember, we already spent $2 trillion on the original stimulus. We spent, what, $1.2 trillion on the infrastructure. So we're like $3 trillion up on that. Additional money spent that we really didn't need to spend. That's the other well, yeah, but uh, but it hasn't been spent. It's available, and they can't even find a way to spend it on uh, in the uh, within the confines of the uh, bill itself. 
they're looking for ways to change that so they can so they can spend the money they've already appropriated. God, yeah, what a mess! It's a complete mess. I mean, it's like it's more than just a complete mess. But it, you know, it comes down to. I mean, we're spending. I mean, say, I mean, here's the thing. There's a point of no return when you deal with these kind of issues. Where how far do you want to go with the spending before the dollar starts slipping? Before people say, you know, enough of this crap. Because the one thing we have going for us is the dollar is still the rest of, you know, the reserve currency for everybody else. But there's going to be a point in time everybody else is going to say, you know, you need to get your place in order or we're looking for something else to replace you as that currency. And and that is an aspect that we need to be, you know, I mean, to me, is an aspect we think about. Because the other aspect that comes into play here is the one aspect of inflation, when you are spending this kind of money, you know, the Federal Reserve, either A, is going to flood the market with money to allow you to keep doing it, which case more inflation, or B, they're going to start tapering up and raising interest rates, which is what they're doing now. You know, you're starting to see the tapering now. You're, if you're going to start tightening the monetary supply, even just a little bit, you know, not only do you have an increased budget due to the interest rates owed, but you know, and if you don't have growth-oriented policy, the result is going to be for a recession, stagnation or recession. But that's where we're headed. Instead, yeah. Inflation may be your best possible alternative. I mean, that may be the best alternative we may end up with. I'm more or less afraid of that one big disastrous mistake that this administration would make that tips the whole thing over. Whether it's a another bank that collapses or something, you know, you can figure out if you go back to the 2008 recession where you had one of the financial institutions just pretty much go belly up and the whole thing came crashing down. So. You think that's what's going to happen? I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. But I think that's a possibility. Uh, I mean, look, we've how much money? I mean, I don't know what the market did today. I mean, it but could, uh, could be more, it could be more than a, more than a uh, recession too. You know, yeah. It could, with the kind of money we're talking about, it could it could be a a, a depression. Um, yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's sort of what happened in uh, 1920, 1930, really. Uh, yeah. All right. Here's the thing: we've lost every, two thousand points in the market. Yeah, and that's been the second week in a row too. Yeah, <clears throat> and the thing that can, and the thing is, inflation is one. The other is not so much the virus, but the perceived policies in response to the virus. If they're afraid of lockdowns and economic restrictions on top of the inflation, you know, you know, and that may be that move. Another lockdown will be that move that tips this, could tip this thing going. Because, yeah, you know, this economy was weaker than it was when we did the first lockdown. Uh, so, yeah, and uh, there was no inflation at all at that time. There was like, you know, one percent. No, 
And you had an unemployment of 3.5%. I mean, we had essentially full unemployment. Now, we're approaching that, statistically speaking, but... Uh, yeah, but there's a big... There's a big, there's a big yeah. uh, Inflation going on at the same time, especially yeah. as being led by, I mean, by the energy problem, which exactly. is a self-inflicted wound. That's a self-inflicted wound, no doubt about that one. So, absolutely. And so, and the question comes into play is, uh, uh, you know, where do we go from here? Because, I mean, this is the thing, the things that can happen. If you have any further economic restriction, I mean, get, or any further mandate, for example, if you start, we've already begun the process of stopping travel between countries. Now they're talking about telling people who don't get vaccinated, you can't get on the plane, even with a mask. If they get to that point and they start reducing travel and reducing commerce, that begins a snowball effect. And if you got governors who are just anxious, like in New York or California, to restrict the economy, go back to some of those economic restrictions, um, you're going to see a recession, uh, at least a recession, or you're certainly going to see an economic slowdown that might as well be a recession. And those are things that I think the market is looking at, and because they're looking at what the president is talking about and then the rumors of what the president is thinking about, is uh, yeah I yeah and then you, you sit back and say well you know if they have another economic restriction and they try to lock things down and they try to start adding these mandates enforcing mandates interesting enough they did retreat on the mandates for the federal employees because the unions didn't want anything to do with it uh, I tell you what we got a couple of minutes left so I'm gonna let you we got 90 seconds left so I'm gonna let you kind of finish up and uh, get us out of here. Well, my message for today is be cautious because the fate of the republic is going to depend, in my opinion, on this next on the next two elections. And if we do not win, and uh, <clears throat> and if we don't have the right people running, uh, we're still uh, we still we we have a chance that we will win and still lose. And uh, that would be disastrous. So uh, the uh, the question is: be be uh, cautious, be careful, do not uh, become overconfident, and uh, and then uh, we have to be running the right people. And uh, these are the people that understand the threat that we face in uh, today's world, and we will uh, have to. Uh, uh, be very careful about uh, who we uh, who we send to Washington, and um, I think we're getting close to the end of this uh, hour. We're uh, very happy to have the uh, uh, all you listeners that uh, are uh, listening now, and we uh, really wish you all a very very uh, good uh, week. And uh, we're so we're going to end up with our usual statement that. We're, that uh, we're in America, and God bless America, because, boy, we really, really need it. Good night. <laughs>